afternoon. I am Sharon Roberson Pender, President and CEO of the Capital Region Minority Supply Development Council and the operator of the U.S. Department of Commerce Minority Business Development Agency in Virginia, the first one of its kind in the history of MBDA. As an organization, the Capital Region Minority Supply Development Council is one of 23 affiliate councils of the National Minority Supply Development Council. And our mission after 50 years still remains and endures um, because we certify, connect, develop, and advocate for minority businesses. As we enter a new year and happy new year, if I haven't seen you or talked to you, we are incredibly excited to continue to bring you information and an informative podcast discussion with some of the most respected and well-known business leaders in this region and across the country. We ask that you visit our website at www.crmsdc.org or stay up to date with upcoming events. Today in this episode, I have the distinct pleasure of speaking to my friend, Mr. David David Gardner, co-founder and chief rule breaker, I've always loved that, of The Motley Fool. But before I get started with that great conversation we're going to have, I'd like to um, turn and recognize some of our sponsors. Thank you to our title sponsor, Exelon, um, which is comprised uh, in this region of BGE and Pepco, Exelon Companies, Capital One, Amcus, SB and Company, Tidings and Rosenberg, and the MBDA Center, um, Virginia. Please, ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome um, Mr. David Gardner. But let me just share some information about him with you. He is, as I said to you, the, the co-founder of um, The Motley Fool um, and Chief Rule um, Breaker, which is a financial services company he co-founded in 1993 alongside his brother, Tom. He also serves as the chairman of the Motley Fool Foundation, whose purpose is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. You like that? World smarter, happier, and richer. To that end, for over 28 years, David picked stocks for a worldwide membership through his company's flagship service, the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. From inception in March um, 2002 through May 2021, he generated returns for members of 20.6% annualized versus the market S&P 500 average of 91.0. He has picked style. He has hosted his own um, weekly podcast. He's been the recipient of many prestigious award, including UNC's prestigious Distinguished Young Alumni Award. He has served on the Individual Investor Advisory Committee of the New York Stock Exchange for 15 years. Welcome, David. Thank you, Sharon. It is a delight to be back with you on Hot Chat. I think we were last together, I think it was April of 2021. And if we get back into where we were and what was happening in April of 2021, it's a very different world today. Stock market, by the way, hasn't done so great in the last couple of years. We could talk about that or not, but I'm just delighted to be back with you. Thank you. And we are delighted to have you back. And since that time, you and I talked about your foundation. I want to talk about that a little bit. But I thought, you know, that um, beginning the year, talking to an expert like you uh, would 
um, would actually um, be of great service to our listeners because of what's happening. We look, um, you know, when they talk about economists, economists talk about 2023 um, and the interest rates peaking and inflation slowdown. And we look at things that are happening globally. And then this current conversation, um, besides the, the chaos in, in, in the nation's capital, of the, the federal debt ceiling, you know, okay. the ceiling, they said on January 19th, 20, I mean, 2023, the ceiling stood at three, 31.4 trillion. And so it's all this stuff going on. And at the bottom line, regular folks like me, um, and me. Is, and me. <laughs> yes, just want to know what does that mean? How does that impact my, my immediate situation and my future? And so I know I just threw a whole lot at you, but I thought <laughs> I'd give you a perspective. I'm not going to put you in a box, but let's talk. Let's chat. Um, what's going on, David? And how should we protect ourselves? Well, I say we solve all the world's problems in the next half hour or so. Shall we try? Absolutely. I'm, I'm down <laughs> for that. Absolutely. Well, you know, certainly one problem has been inflation. And inflation is is a really big problem. And that's, I think, in a lot of ways why the stock market lost about a third of its value last year. And, you know, I'm very stock market focused as a person. But you know, when you have money lose value, like the dollar that's sitting there in your hand or on your e-payment these days on your phone, that dollar was devalued by about 7% last year. Uh, normally, that's closer to 1%. So that's a problem, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, suppliers feel like they have to raise prices to make up for that. And then at the retail level, business people have to jack us up, and understandably so. And we're all kind of hoping to get a raise so that we can afford to pay rent that's rising. So I think we can all appreciate that that is a serious problem. I, mm -hmm. I do think that we're going to lick the problem. I think that there are already factors in place. We are seeing inflation come down a little bit over the last few months. But I mean, I think that's square one. You know, Warren Buffett, great investor, Berkshire Hathaway founder, basically said that's like the worst thing an economic system can have because it just undermines the value that's created. If you've been saving dollars, and I hope you have been, because mm -hmm. that's what we try to get the world to do at The Motley Fool is to be a net saver and a net investor. It doesn't feel that fair to think that you took the time to save a dollar and that dollar is just kind of losing value uh, on its own. So that's the problem with inflation. I think that's, um, you know, explains a lot of where we are right now. Okay, I, I and I didn't mean to 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 um just to, to um gut punch you in the beginning <laughs> myself. It didn't, it didn't feel that way. We're having fun, but I I want to get at the uh, what I think people are we're keeping what's keeping them up at night. But let's let's talk. I'm a, I'm a backtrack. If we, this was a movie, it's like we're going to go back to the beginning because <laughs> what I want to remind people this is where we are right now. But let's go back to um your interest in this area in terms of stocks sure. and when you were growing up and what your father did for you and your brother that parlayed into your vision as an entrepreneur to do what you're doing. I want to give people kind of the backstory. Can sure. you share that with us? Yeah, thank you, Sharon. So it's, it, I'll give the quick version. And that is simply that I was raised in a family that um, was a business family. We were business minded. So I grew up thinking business is good. And I realize um, a lot of people, I think, hearing us right now, your audience, our audience here, I think agrees with that. And I think that's a really important viewpoint, because if you really think about why America is the greatest nation in the world today, despite all of our faults, 
Uh, a lot of it is explained by the private sector and business, the growth of businesses, the products and services that we purchase every day that enrich our lives. So I think I told this story last time, two years ago, but since it's still true today, you know, there we were going to the grocery store on Saturday mornings. My dad did the grocery shopping in our family. So, you know, we're kids. I'm eight. My brother's six. Dad's like, hey, kids, look, chocolate pudding over there. We own some of the shares of the company that makes that chocolate pudding. Let's go get more chocolate pudding. And so if you're an eight-year-old, you love hearing <laughs> that from your dad because you love chocolate pudding. But that's just, in a way, a symbol for what I think we're all doing in our society today. And again, we're all coming from different places with different backgrounds, but we're all trying to live a good life, to create something good and special for our kids. And in my opinion, and this was true of me at eight and true of me at 56, I think the business is the greatest, most dependable way to get there. So entrepreneurs form enterprises and try to create a better product or service that's going to you know, be worth purchasing by you and me and improve the world. And I think we've continuously seen that um, despite, again, lots of hiccups and Enrons out there. There are certainly problems. Cryptocurrency, there are problems out there. Okay. Really take it all in all. You think about you know, the growth of Amazon.com and how it kind of saved a lot of us during the pandemic, having things delivered. Or, um, or I think about Apple, like the greatest brand in the world today. And, you know, just making computers accessible to more people. So a lot of my favorite companies, um, whether it's chocolate pudding, computers, or the internet, are companies that are really trying to improve our lives and sometimes democratize the subject. So to close my short answer, The Motley Fool is trying to do that for money. We're trying to make it understandable, accessible, include everybody in the conversation, and get people educated about how to win in business, in investing, and in life. So your father set a very good example. How would you then advise our listeners to make those kinds of investments for their children? How do you, you know, how do you be, or grandchildren, yeah. you know, how do you begin that process at that early age? Yeah. And again, I'm glad you said that last phrase, Sharon, because at that early age, I mean, the earlier, if you're hearing us now, starting tomorrow or even today, it's going to make a big difference because one of the reasons that it, when you look at the stock market, it goes from the lower left to the upper right. Uh, what all consultants always like to show graphs where things go lower left to upper right. Mm -hmm. That has been true of the stock market because a lot of you know people are working hard to make better products and services we just talked about. So the earlier you and I can get on that train, the lower left we can get the farther up we're going to go over the course of our lives, upper right. So I think it's really great to get kids started. To answer the question directly, I think you want to open up an account. Uh, this is not hard to do these days. You can either go to a local, uh, your bank, or I don't know, you know, Schwab. You see Schwab out there, Fidelity, those kinds of firms. You can also just go online to their site. And just like you opened up maybe your first bank account, you and I, older hands, sharing, you know, our first checking account, Learn mm -hmm. how to write a check. Remember that? That was skills we don't teach kids anymore so much. But, you know, just like we opened that account, same thing for opening up a brokerage account today. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a great thing to do for a child. And then I would just say, you know, the hardest thing is not opening up the account. It's saving the money and being disciplined, uh, being regular. A lot of us, I think, try to pay ourselves first, as the phrase goes, when you every two weeks you get a paycheck. Uh, we, we've always advised trying to save up to 10% of that if you can and just have it disappear so you don't even think it's coming to you. Have it mm -hmm. go right into your retirement plan at your at your workplace. So mm -hmm. same thing for kids. 
is if you could just, you know, allocate $5 a month or $1 a week or whatever it is. And a lot of us can do better than that. You can just regularly have that money going into their account. And then I would say, whether you choose to put it in an index fund, which for a lot of people is just a simple approach to investing and that lower left to upper right, that works with index funds like the total market index fund offered by Vanguard, not an advertising partner for us. So I'm not plugging anything other than just a great answer for America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just buying a fund that just gets the return of all the stocks. That's what the total market fund does. It has all the companies on the stock market and you own a tiny little bit of every single one of them. And that goes up over time. So now I, on the other hand, and we could talk about this or not this time, but I, I favor investing directly into companies. I kind of find the total market fund boring and I would much rather pick the best companies and not have all the companies because some of them aren't great. So a lot of what we do at the fool at the Motley fool is to think about what is excellence and, you know, how do we get to, you know, find Apple and Starbucks and Amazon and these kinds of companies and, and put our kids in those companies. So I think a big part of it is in the end, opening up that account, step one and funding it on a regular recurring basis. Step two. Okay, I, I open it up, I fund it. How do I engage Motley Fool? Well, thank you. I mean, you know, our, our website is fool.com. When we registered for that URL 30 years ago, nobody else wanted it. So, <laughs> so yeah, we are, we're celebrating our 30th year in business this year. Congratulations. So, thank you. I'm really happy. I couldn't be happier about it. We've been a private company all the way through. Lots of ups, lots of downs. Probably more downs in the last 12 months given the stock market than ups. But nevertheless, uh, it is, it's a labor of love for all of us. We have 600 employees just across the river from Washington, D.C., centered in Alexandria, Virginia. And it has been just a delight for me to be the co-founder and then the co-chairman today with my brother, Tom, our CEO. And, you know, I would say go to fool.com, our website. We should have free services, free tools, and free answers for you to get started. Ultimately, we hope that you'll like what we're doing enough that you might want to pay us $100 a year for what stock we think you should buy next. That's a big part of our business. We're basically a subscription business. I like to describe it this way. We're kind of like Netflix. You know, they charge you 10 bucks or so a month as well. The difference is that you're just getting streaming entertainment from them. And I love that. I'm subscribed to Netflix and it's a great stock, by the way. But I like to think if you pay us $10 a month, you'll actually make well more than that over time, which you can't say most of the things that we consume via subscription does. So I think if we're doing our job right, we're helping you and we're co-creating prosperity together. And since we are in our 30th year of business, I'm happy to say that model works. It works for everybody involved. And win, win, win is one of my favorite phrases. And, and, and absolutely, because that's the overwhelming part. You know, how do I make the decision on the, the right stock and then um, not wring my hands in terms of watching it grow or um, fluctuate or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot more that we're not going to do a stock market 101 this hot chat. I don't think if you want to invite me back sometime, we can do that. So without going too deep there, I'll just say that, you know, you have to be prepared for two things as an investor, whether it's for your kids or for yourself. I hope both. The first is that one year in three, historically, the stock market declines. One year in three, you're going to lose money. In our 30 years, we've had about 10 years of that at The Motley Fool where the advice we're giving doesn't feel like it's working because you might be paying us for a subscription and you're losing money 
on top of that, which doesn't feel good. But if you have the right mindset, then the other thing you need to know is that two years out of three, the market goes up. And take 10 years together or 30 years together, or even better, our whole lifetime, because we're all about making a lifetime commitment to investing, not jumping in or jumping out or trying to guess if there's a recession or getting head faked out by um, near-term considerations, but really just saving every two weeks for yourself and your family and finding good things, whether it's that index fund, if you want to keep it simple, most people do. But if you want to go with stocks, which I do, then, you know, finding excellence. And also, Sharon, you know, what are the companies that you admire and that I admire and making sure that your money is aligned directly with that. So I will never pick a stock or put my money into something I don't believe in. Uh, that just doesn't feel, that feels hypocritical to me. And by the way, I don't think it's going to work too well for investing either. So I never invest cynically thinking, oh, I'll just buy shares of this tobacco company because that's going to make a lot of money. My mother died of lung cancer. I I don't take that too personally. That was her choice and she loved smoking and I'm fine with that, but I'm not going to actually put my money in a company like that. We all have different values. I just think our money should be invested directly in our own values. And for me, it isn't just satisfying. It actually works. It's very rewarding. So I think that's a secret. Hmm. How do you suggest that people um, make determinations of that? You know, you advise them to do some, you know, find what you're passionate about and do some research on it? Or do you look at, um, you know, um, if you want to be conservative and you look at the existing um, Fortune 500 or something, you know, so what, yeah. what advice do you give folks in terms of making a determination as to what they want to invest in? Or, or do when they come to Motley Fool, can they see information? Well, I think that they can, but really we're, we're all about teaching you uh, how to fish. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do toss fish to use that old metaphor, we do toss fish on a regular basis. This is the stock we're buying next. This is what we think you should buy next. But our best members and our longest term subscribers who've done best with us over the long period of time, these are people who basically understand kind of how to think about things and then use our advice or not. Sometimes I'm wrong and they might say, you know, David, I don't think that's a good investment. I'm not going to buy that one. And I, I'd be the first to say, good on you. You know, I'm glad you're thinking for yourself. But Sharon, I think for a lot of us, you know, I think you can start with a fund, especially if you're toe dipping and this subject's new for you and you're hearing us challenge you for the first time to think about being a net saver. I think it's just fine to buy shares every single two week period of the same index fund. I already mentioned the Vanguard Total sure. Index Fund is a great answer. There are other ones out there, too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just doing that for your first several months or years or even lifetime, if you like, is enough for most of us. With that said, um, I'm the first to say, hey, why not buy one stock at least two? Like if you just want to, if you just want to toe dip here, why not buy a stock that you think is going to do better than average, and then score yourself uh, with your own money? You know, you against you, you with your fund. How's that doing? Okay, how did your selection of what's a good recent company that I can think of? Um, you know, I, I think of Etsy. Okay, so Etsy. A lot of us may know that, not everybody may, but you know, it's an online e-commerce company, kind of like Amazon. But the big difference between Amazon and Etsy is that the stuff you buy on Amazon, everybody else can buy on Amazon too. And so it's not particularly unique and it's massive. Etsy, the stuff you buy on Etsy is made by a handcraftsman, usually somewhere around the world and mm -hmm. can only be found on Etsy. And so I think Etsy's Amazon proof. I don't think Amazon's going to put Etsy out of business. 
And I love them both, by the way. So I would just say, hey, there you go. Now, for some of us, you might be have bought more stuff in the last year than I did on Etsy. I didn't actually buy much on Etsy. Maybe you did. Therefore, that would be a great stock for you to consider. Um, on the other hand, if you don't have any interest in online e-commerce, you're much more interested in automobiles. I think Tesla has been a great stock and a fascinating company. So I think a lot of it is simply looking in your own heart and at your own interests. Look on your bookshelf. Look at what you're spending your money on your credit card statements. Who are you? And just make sure that you think consciously about that. And I would just say, have your investing dollars follow your best spent dollars in the world at large if you want to buy individual companies. Mm -hmm. Um. You've given a lot of great advice here. And Thanks. so over the last, and congratulations again, 30 years. Thanks. That, that is, that, that's incredible. Really, really congratulations. Over the last 30 years, is there something that, tell me, uh, what, what are you most proud of? And then I want to talk about, is there something that you wish you could go back and redo or undo? Yeah, well, I mean, given that I have made so many bad stock picks, and <laughs> when I think back, and, and this is a, actually a really important lesson. Um, I mean, I, I wish I could take back any number of recommendations. Like probably my worst financial mistake, if you're just doing the numbers, is in the early days of The Motley Fool, back when America Online was a huge brand yes. and you know merged with Time Warner. These were early, heady days yeah. for the internet. You and I remember that. Um, I was a big backer of AOL stock and we had just kind of bought and held it, which is what we do, by the way. If you take our advice from The Motley Fool, you're usually buying, buying and buying. You are rarely selling. We try to just hold stocks through thick and thin. Not everybody has the stomach for that or wants to do that, but that's exactly what we do and we think it works. But that also means sometimes you hold things when they go down and you, you're like, you know what? I probably held AOL too long because, gotcha. uh, of course, AOL is not really even a brand that we think about or talk about anymore. I, I'm happy to say eventually I sold my AOL holding and moved it over to, to some better, newer companies. But just the math of that, you know, stock had gone up 150 times in value on our watch with wow. our dollars on it as our advice. And so it was a spectacular winner. I mean, you get back in those days, year 1999, 2000, it was just a monster. But I kept holding for about five more years. And so that 150 times probably ended up being about 25 times by the time I generally, I decided that I'm going to sell and transition that into something else. I did buy Netflix with it. So I'm really glad that I did that. But, you know, I can look back. I mean, that's just one silly stock market, a personal example. But I think we can all look back and should be able to look back. Mm -hmm. on failed investments or bad decisions that we made. Because I think if you're not risking, you're not winning. Mm. I really, one of my big themes in life, and it's true of business as it is of investing, is I think you have to lose to win in this world. I really yeah. believe that. Uh, and, you know, If you're an NBA player, you're, you're going to keep missing free throws your whole life long. It's not like you all of a sudden perfectly can hit every free throw of your next hundred because you've now gotten to the point where you know, you're that great. It's not really how it is in investing either. I'm going to be wrong still at the age of 56 or 66, probably one time in three. So I think you have to have that mentality and be ready to bounce back. It's not whether you got knocked down, the old line goes. I think it's Vince Lombardi. It's whether you got back up. So I think that's really important for entrepreneurs. I know we're speaking to a, a lot of them today, um, business owners. 
I, I mean, I can look back on you know business mistakes we've made as well. So I'm happy to talk about mistakes because I view them as opportunities, mm -hmm. gifts. I view them as inevitable, and uh, and I don't fear them. Uh, so I and by the way, more than once, including the last two years, I watched my own portfolio get cut in half, or the value of my business get cut in half, which feels really bad when it happens over an 18 month period. And yet that's all part of going up the mountain. Sometimes when you're climbing, climbing Mount Everest, which I don't think I'll ever do, you're actually going downhill some of that time. Mm. But at the end of it, and this is definitely true of that lower left to upper right, that mountain of the stock market, you'll look back over years, you'll realize, wow, look how high I've gotten, even though I suffered many hard times. So anyway, I think I just ranted a little bit. But thanks. No, for this this is beautiful, and, and those lessons learned, um, particularly in terms of you know it's high risk, high reward. Um, and then I, I love what you're saying when you're climbing up the mountain, there are valleys, right? And in, in, in terms of trying to when, when you're you're trying to reach the peak. And absolutely, so I think that's just absolutely awesome. As you kind of um, a, along the way, also um, you're you have done a magnificent. I I just love your spirit. And when you and I talked a few a couple of years ago about your direction with your foundation, um, and um, and your worldview around um, inclusion and, and diversity and that kind of thing, share with our audience um, about the the the, the um, foundation. I would love to. Thank you, Sharon, for asking. And thank you for checking back a couple years later. We formally launched our foundation on April Fool's Day of last year. So when you and I talked two years ago, we'd already hired our executive director. We'd helped start to fund it, but we hadn't launched. So we did launch, um, but less than a year ago. So we're a scrappy startup, just like The Motley Fool was 30 years ago. The way I describe our foundation to make it as accessible and understandable as possible is that I think The Motley Fool today reaches the one-third of America that is financially healthy. That is you, Sharon. That is me. That is a lot of people hearing us right now. Not everybody. And I wish everybody was financially healthy. But The Motley mm -hmm. Fool, for the most part, has built a business giving advice to people who do have money. That's why they're paying us on an annual basis for stock recommendations, because they're trying to decide what to do with their own money. There are two other thirds of America that we should talk about briefly. Uh, the next third stepping down for the financially healthy are the coping, the day-to-day, -day, the make it work from one week yeah. to the next. You know, the immigrant families, the people who are like, if I could just get over the hump, like I'm just short of that $1 save that would be the, the turning point for me and my family. There are about a third of Americans are paycheck to paycheck. And the way that we like to talk about them is they're strivers, our favorite in that segment of America are strivers, and we want to turn strivers to thrivers. So that is where the Motley Fool Foundation at an early scrappy startup stage is aiming its focus. We can't be all things to all people. You know that, Sharon. None of us can be as entrepreneurs. You, not everybody's your customer. So we decided to make that decision to focus. The last third that obviously we should speak to and we hear about all the time are the financially vulnerable. And those are people who often um, are in... Uh, they don't have education. They don't have a lot of background. They may have addictions. There are all kinds of reasons that people are financially vulnerable. And the good news is there are a lot of elements of our society from churches to NGOs that are focused on, on those, those, that third of America. Uh, for me, uh, I have a heart for it. I certainly you know, give checks here and there to different organizations. But for us at the foundation level, we think we can help the strivers become thrivers. So that's where we're focused. 
And, uh, you know, it's it's early days to talk about what we're doing. I'll mention a DC connection since, Sharon, you and I are good friends from Leadership Greater Washington. And I know you're reaching out nationally all the time, as am I, but we're also DC people. So I'd want to mention that we, one of the things we do at the foundation is just the way, same way I pick stocks um, for 28 years, we also kind of make portfolio allocation decisions around different charities or social entrepreneurs that we want to support. I think of that as a portfolio as well. And I hope we'll have a good eye for identifying the winners and maybe avoiding some of the losers because there are probably some losers out there, even though everybody's trying hard. You know, some people are just good and flat out better than others or have the best solutions. So we want to fund those. So Kimberly Triggins at the Washington Housing Conservancy is an example of that for the foundation. We have we have named Kim Driggins and her 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 um, her conservancy as a rule breaker, which for us is a good phrase. That means you are not just content with how Goliath has set up the world. You are breaking the rules as David did with his slingshot. So I, and the name of my podcast, of course, is Rule Breaker Investing. And I love to talk about the rule breakers. So that's what we're identifying through the foundations. We're finding models. In the case of Kim Driggins, she has a model that's mixed housing. So, you know, affordable housing, but actually bringing together people of all financial walks of life into the same building. So you're always going to have in a big city like DC, the higher end people. Sure. If you think about it and you attract the right ones there, you can give them a high-end experience, but give them a more rich experience because in the same building with them might be their babysitter or might be the server at the restaurant they'll go to this coming weekend. And also with those younger, hardworking people, you'll find other people who really needed that housing all in the same mixed-use developments in a sustainable way. So without um, pounding it too hard, that's for us, kind of what we're trying to do with the foundation is find the rule breakers. That one happens to be in Washington, D.C. We also have the Mississippi Delta so far, and we have Hispanic immigrants, especially covered in the southwest and west of our country. So those are areas we're looking at of who's doing something really innovative and interesting that we think can scale. Okay, that's that's absolutely Awesome. Did I give you more than you were expecting? No, 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 no. Um, um, I think I, I love the striver to th- thrivers and the fact that you that you have focused on, you know, what you're you're dealing with a, as well, because getting back to what we talked about initially in terms of the education, I think that um, there is this financial literacy piece that we can do um, in order the, to create a mindset of kind of saving or create this mindset of investing. And I think that there is the opportunity to kind of do that as well. I would love to talk to you in terms of, you know, um, our minority businesses are always looking at community service kinds of things. And I, and th- this whole topic of in, investing in the future, you know, even looking at people's kids or grandkids. And it seems like it might be something that um, we can do um, in terms of, you know, how do we get to, um, for folks to begin to think of or building, building um, multi-generational wealth. That's what I'm, tr- what, what I'm getting to. And that's so- what I was thinking because a lot of your listeners in your audience recognize the importance that may not have had that themselves, but these are the entrepreneurs. These are the thrivers now. And knowing how to do it for your kids 
Uh, and I tried to do, by the way, for my kids, the same thing, chocolate pudding that my dad did for me. And I, I hope it's working. I'm sure I'm probably screwing it up somehow. But, you know, these are all things that are really aspirational for every human being, not just not just some of us. And so I think that's a big part of the Motley Fool Foundation is uh, welcoming everybody to the campfire. So we have amazing stories from everybody, not just from people who've done really well in the stock market. You still have chocolate pudding in your portfolio. <laughs> the company that made that, uh, Norton Simon, uh, this is back in the 1970s, got bought out. So no, it's long gone. But as a story, it's true and it stands the test of time. But it's more a symbol for any of us for what are the things that give you joy. In fact, what, some of my better stock picks, I don't know if you've ever come across Marie Kondo and tidying up your house and you pick up your old sweater and you say, does this spark joy? She says she's a best-selling author helping us clean up our homes. And her simple question, when you look around your house or your bookshelf or you're trying to clean out your garage, you pick up things and say, does this spark joy for me? And if it doesn't, then maybe get rid of it. And then if you do that in a disciplined way, you're only left with things that spark joy. You walk into your garage or look at your bookshelf and all you see is joy. But for me, the companies that do that with their products and services that spark joy for you, Sharon, and it's going to be a unique set of things that uniquely speak to you and every single person listening to us, me as well. I think it's really helpful to be looking for those things and realize the value of them in the world. And I want to be a part owner of those businesses as a, as a stock market and avid trying to beat the market, trying to succeed in this life kind of a guy and share it out to people. I want to find the best stuff. We mentioned Tesla earlier. I think Tesla is a great example that a lot of people would know. Not everybody owns a Tesla yet. Tesla's trying to get cheaper so everyone can own a Tesla. But I mean, think about how aspirational that product is, that brand, and the entire world industry is now trying to go electric and copy them. So I'm always trying to find the ones out front of the rest. And uh, that's a big part of rule breaking. Okay, so does rule breaking uh, include investing in space? Yeah, sure. Now, it's, it's still early days. Sure. Um, so we don't want to get too excited. For example, another mistake I made is I think I got too excited about 3D printing about 10 years ago. I remember 3D printing. Okay. Now, now the thing is, it's it's still happening today. And it will be, I think, a big thing in our world. I just saw the news this week that um, in the city of Houston, uh, a collaboration between a Houston-based construction company and a German technology company is printing, 3D printing a two-story house. Wow. By the way, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while to uh, lay that cement being automated, driven by computers. But think about the possibility. Now, we saw that possibly 10 years ago, and uh, it's still not really come to fruition yet. So I think sometimes we can be early. Uh, and so, you know, I'm excited about space, but it's not like there are a lot of people up in space or a lot of commercialization going or possibly. There's a lot of discovery happening right now, of course, because of the James Webb telescope and the beautiful images and a lot of what we're learning. So I think scientists are learning a lot. But for us entrepreneurs, probably not yet. Investors, not as much. There's a little bit out there. Anyway, I love this stuff, Sharon. You know, I can talk too long about it, but it is a reminder to think about the future. I try to live in the future and mm -hmm. then backwards to today and invest accordingly. So I try to ask. That's why I love solar energy, because I... I feel convinced that the people of the future will say, yeah, it was there all along. The sun, the most powerful thing in our solar system. We use that to generate most energy today. Now, 
We couldn't have done that 100 years ago. We still can't sure. do that at scale very well today. But I feel pretty confident that looking backwards from the future, everyone's going to be like, yeah, the sun's powering most things. And so I, I think about that and I try to invest toward that. This is outstanding. You, you, you're so inspirational. I always love talking to you. I love talking to you, Sharon. You have great questions. And I always feel like I talk too much when we talk on your podcast. No, this is kind of what we want. We want this information <laughs> exchange and you're the expert. And so we're taking advantage of, of um, you being here and certainly appreciate your time because we know your time is money. We know that you're, you're busy. And so thank you for doing that. As we look, and I'm coming back to how we began, um, 30 years, you've seen the, um, as we look at the economic forecast, you've seen this story before. And so what I, I've kind of take away from the conversation is to ride it out. Um, um, but anything, is there anything different about what's currently happening than you, that you have not seen before? I mean, you have to talk out both sides of your mouth if you're a student of history and somebody living in the present day for this. So I would say on the one hand, Sharon, we've all seen this before. Um, you know, nothing new under the sun. It all goes back to the Greeks having fun with that. Um, you know, we've had recessions. We've had high inflation periods in the 1970s, more recently mm -hmm. in this country. A lot of us hearing me right now weren't necessarily even around in the 1970s. So you know, I think on the one hand, you have to recognize that a lot of this has all happened before. And especially you used an important word earlier. And I really want to double underline now mindset, you said, mm -hmm. and giving people the mindset to succeed in business, investing in life. I think you have to understand history and realize that, you know, this has happened before at the same time. And part of what's happened before, by the way, are rebounds and the market going mm -hmm. up and inflation dropping. And think about the things we take for granted today, like that you and I can sit in our, well, in my case, my den, and do an, uh, a podcast that reaches the world at large. When I was making a collect call to my parents, 30 dollar <laughs> a minute just to use the phone long distance, whatever that meant. So, I mean, right. think about the things that we take for granted today. And I we know. Shouldn't, we shouldn't, by the way. So out, out one side of our mouths, we, we have to say, yeah, we've seen this before. And it's going to happen again, by the way, again and again. On the other hand, every situation is unique. And I, I don't want to sound like, you know, it's easy to say it's, it's all happened before and it's, it'll fix itself. There are a lot of unique factors here. You, we always have to identify. I mean, just the, the degree of awareness around social justice, the degree of awareness around, I would say, minority funding. Um, you know, I would say venture capital headed to Black-owned businesses. That is a new thing. That is a very exciting thing. Um, and actually, one of our board members, Melissa Bradley at 1863 Ventures here in D.C., is a board member of the Motley Fool Foundation. So I'm getting- Absolutely. I know Melissa, yes. I'm mm -hmm. sure you, I'm, I, of course, I'm sure you've known her much longer than I have, but, mm -hmm. but I am like noticing some really great new dynamics in place that, are, that haven't happened before. And I think we have to all be ready for the newness of the future. I do want to brag that I have the DC license plate, future. That's actually mine. Really? Nobody else in our city, I guess, wanted or was thinking about future, but truly it's like my favorite word. So I'm happy to say I've got the vanity plate in DC for future, but the future means actually everything to me. All that matters from our conversation, if anybody's taking investment advice or perspective from this is what happens next. Mm -hmm. Not not what what is happening this minute or what happened or what, what worked 30 years ago. All that matters is what happens next. So I'm, I think it's great to be about the future. Well, David Gartner, the future is now. 
And we appreciate you being here right now. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for all these pearls of wisdom that you've um, imparted upon us today. It's it's so much appreciated. And so um, I'd like to close this segment by sharing with people kind of like your mantra, what you've always say in terms of fool. Fool on. In fact, (laughs) in fact, I mean. Yes, yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. If I didn't (laughs) throw my jester cap on and say, thank you very much, Sharon. And I really appreciate being part of Hot Chat again. Keep up the great work with your work. And everybody hearing us right now, I really do think that um, there are such promising factors in store. I think the stock market will probably go up this year. That's always the odds on bet. And uh, I think we need to be looking forward and asking what's working, not looking backward and asking what wasn't working. Mm. So I really appreciate you have that spirit too. And uh, I wish us all the best. Okay. As we move forward into 2023, you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of how, what's, what's our mindset and what we should do. How do we try to close the wealth gap, particularly for minorities in the future, by investing now and setting up that for our kids, our grandkids, for ourselves. It's a way of, it's a way of life that we need to make sure that we're a part of. Thank you, David Gartner. Just love you to death. I am, um, and look forward to hopefully bringing you back again because these nuggets are, um, are much needed. Thank you, Sharon. What a delight. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just I'm just super, super excited um, as we close out this segment. I just want to, again, um, thank David for what he has brought to the table for us. But, you know, I, and, and in doing that, um, hope you found the, the, the advice as, as amazing as I have. But before we go, I'd like to um, recognize our corporate sponsors. Um, who continue to support our mission. And if you're listening, I'll share with you who they are. If you're looking at us, you can see some of our sponsors on the screen itself. AARP, Allianz Science and Technology, AT&T, BAE Systems, BWI Thurgood Marshall International Airport, the City of Baltimore, the District of Columbia Department of Small Local and Business Development, Dominion Energy, the Ellison Group, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Financial Realty Services, The Hilton, Horseshoe Casino, Lidos, Lockheed Martin, M&T Bank, the Maryland Governor's Office of Small Minority and Women Business Affairs, Mass Mutual, McCormick, Northrop Grumman, Parsons, Peapi, Prince George's County Office of Central Services, SAIC, Sodexo, Truist, United States Postal Service, University of Maryland College Park, the University of Maryland Global Campus, Washington Gas, Metro, Zillion Technology, and Zones. To learn more about upcoming programs, visit our website, please, at www.crmsdc.org. And if you've missed any of our past episodes, or if you just want to listen to this one for reinforcement, go to um, our microsite, which is www.crmsdc.org. DC, I'm sorry, crmsdccares.com. You see it on the screen, crmsdccares.com. Don't forget to like us, share this episode on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Our moniker is at crmsdc. Subscribe to our channel 
or podcast because you can find us on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Before I close again, I extend a special thanks to our Coronavirus Response and Relief Center and our media production team for their behind the scenes support and helping us make this happen today. Thank you, Sonia, Nicole, Renee, and Graybo Solutions. Until next time, full on. <laughs> I had to say that.